Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Input 2 Bytes Movie Podcast. Today is going to be an interesting one because there's a lot to talk about. But first, with me today, I have... Jeremy Rogers. Matthew Yap. Hello, guys. You've both been on here, so welcome back. So we're going to dive into the Broadway phenomenon, Rent, and more specifically, the movie Rent. So let's just get right into it. So the original rock musical was created by Jonathan Larson, and it's based on La Boheme, a play by Puccini. It's actually an opera, not a play, sorry. And it is about struggling artists in Paris, and it centers around tuberculosis. In Rent, almost every there's so much borrowed from La Boheme. Most of the characters have similar names, like Mimi is a character in both of them. Like the character Rodolfo in La Boheme is Roger, and Marcelo is Mark. So. There's that obvious reference, and the change is not tuberculosis, it is AIDS. But it's basically almost the exact same show, with some exceptions we'll get into later. So, Jonathan Larson, the creator of Rent, died of an aortic dissection the night right before the off-Broadway show was about to premiere. And this is really important to the popularity of Rent, because it kind of solidified it as... He, he died for his passion in his art, and that really helped with getting the show out, like, the narrative of the show out there. And it kind of fits into, like, the bohemian, like, themes going on in the musical anyway. Um, so the show moved to Broadway in April 1996. It was insanely popular. It closed on September 7th, 2008. It had a 12-year run and 5,123 performances. And according to Time Magazine, the show grossed over $28 million. So it did really well. This is a very popular show, and I think we've all seen it in some form. Yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. you're all here. Like, <laughs> like, I hope. So obviously, a film was inevitable. If something's that successful, they're going to make a movie about it. And honestly, the musical works really well when translating to film. I wouldn't say this adaption. We'll get into those opinions later. <laughs> but it, I think it's a musical made for film. Like, it could be easily adapted, in yeah. my opinion. Like, um, So the film released November 23rd, 2005 for wide-scale distribution. It was directed by Chris Columbus. And if you don't know who Chris Columbus was, he directed Home Alone 1 and 2, Missed Outfire, and probably the most famous of his works is Harry Potter 1 and 2. The worst Harry Potters. Yeah, so the thing, definitely not the worst. Another episode of Input 2, but they are definitely <laughs> not the worst. They're not... Okay, visually, they're... The problem with Chris Columbus is that he is a director without a style. He, any movie you could point out, and that might be his work. Like, he is so generic. He doesn't... He's no auteur. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about Chris, because I don't want to bully you, Chris. I'm sorry. You try, man. <laughs> the screenplay was written by Stephen Ch- Ch- Chabosky. 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 Also the writer of Perks of Being a Wallflower. <laughs> yeah, and the writer of Perks of Being a Wallflower. And I think that's the only thing I know him from, mm-hmm. personally. So Most people, yeah. Kind of cool. So, Rent did moderately well at the box office. How much did it make, Jeremy? It made $31,670,620. Worldwide. Ooh. So, it did It did fine. Like. I mean, for a budget of $40 million, not yeah, so much. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well... <laughs> It, it's also like, wait, forty million. Like just thinking about that, that does not make sense. Yeah, I don't know what they use the money on to get the actors. Probably. Maybe? Yeah. Rosaria I, Dawson was big at the time. She was big at the time. I don't know what she's doing right now. But <laughs> she's great. Uh, critically, it did 
not very well. So it got a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. And of course, remember, that's an aggregate website. So it's not like Rotten Tomatoes score. Just keep that in mind. And then 83% audience rating. So this is interesting because audiences tend to like the movie more than your critics. And this is actually a trend you see a lot in movie musicals. All the Disney movie musicals are a good example of this. Audiences tend to like them more than critics. So this doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) Also go back to our episode of input two where we looked at repo the genetic opera oh yes that's a terrible movie that i love and it's the same story like they just find it just seems like movie musicals like people aren't looking to be critical about them yeah they're just trying to watch and have a good time and i feel that so i pulled a positive review by richard roper of robert and roper Uh, Ebert and Rover, my bad. Um, And he said, the film captures the beautiful spirit and the raw energy of Larson's play, and it respects the wonderful, gorgeous, life-affirming music. I wanted to point this out because my intent was not to talk too much about the music, but I think uh, I have an easier time listening to a lot of the songs in the movie than I do in the musical. The ones that were adapted anyway. There are obviously some left out. And I do think the music is probably the strong point of the movie for me. So I did want to give the credit there where I think it's due. Yeah. Valid. Good music. Yeah. Does anyone not like the music? No, I, I adore the music. I'm not in love with the music, but there are so many catchy tunes. Right. So, yeah. I, like, <laughs> it's good music. Yeah. And then the negative review I pulled is by Victoria Siegel with New Statesman. And <laughs> she said, Chris Columbus, who managed to suck the magic out of the first two Harry Potter films, does the same with this adaption. Scene after scene looks like an MTV ad, which is ironic given the character's anti-commercialism. And I pulled this one because it tackles my biggest issue with the movie, and that is how it looks visually. Um, it does just look like an MTV ad. There's like parts where suddenly we're like in the desert, and it's like a music video, <laughs> which is my favorite part of the entire movie. I just want to throw out. So I'm just gonna say she lost me with the first sentence here. He did not suck the magic out of the first two Harry Potter films. He, he did. I like them, but I don't think they're particularly good. If that makes sense. Okay, fine, fine. But you know what? I think he did suck the magic out of Rent. So yes, he did. He did. He sucked all of the magic and goodness out of Rent. I think he could have learned something from the movie, which is sometimes you need to focus on art and not try to sell out. Because that's what this movie felt like, is taking the kind of originality from the first... I would like to preface, but I love the movie. But it took a lot of what the originality and the like rawness from the play, I think, and t- turned it into something palatable for a mainstream artist, which I think, or a mainstream audience, which I think lost some I, of the charm. Yeah, I would agree. It's easier to digest, I think. Yeah. It's not as controversial, I'd say. There's definitely scenes in the musical that uh, don't exist in the movie that maybe not controversial, but are a little more emotion-filled and make you like think a little bit yeah. <laughs> that aren't yeah. here. But actually, let's get into the movie. Like, What is Rent about? We've talked a little bit about La Boheme and how it centers around tuberculosis, but what is Rent? Rent is about AIDS. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's about it's people in poverty, poverty, specifically artists for the most part, and just really trying to understand at that time period what a lot of people were experiencing, especially queer people, which I feel the movie does hit on, but this kind of like fear and uncertainty and the acceptance of that and how there can be beauty and all that is what I think Rent really is about. Right. When I see Rent, the movie, the musical is an ensemble piece where every member of the cast is plus or minus equal in how much the story follows them. Mm -hmm. The movie is centered around the worst character, (laughs) the 
character who specifically says he chooses to live like this, who is just a misery tourist who doesn't care. The musical is too. He's a narrator. All right, great. Well, the movie <laughs> focuses in on him more. It, it, uh, I think the difference is like we see more of his crappy movies. So like yeah, they're bad. <laughs> so like I, I don't know if it's that he's focused on more. It's that we get more of the visualization. Like we get to visualize what he quit his great job over, and it's trash. <laughs> but yeah, I Mark is I think the worst character. I think uh, just his existence causes some problems for what the narrative is trying to accomplish. <laughs> I'd agree. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I've never met anyone that likes Mark. I think we all just kind of shut him out and pretend he doesn't exist. I see him as a a very solid tool to move the plot line at certain points along at certain points i think he's a good sounding board for roger but for the most part yeah he's just not helpful i think it's important when talking about mark to talk about the creator of rent as a i believe straight man living without aids and i think mark is jonathan that's valid. He's yeah. also Jewish. Both of them are Jewish. In some respects, he's definitely a limited author stand-in character. Yeah. Th- he, he's a man who sees this like tragedy happening and all these hardships people are going through, and he can't experience it, but he wants to tell the story. Yeah, and I think that's important to bring up just when we talk about Mark. So he's definitely not the focus, but he does kind of drive the, pli- the pilot, the plot along. I'm coherent. Um one of the big things I wanted to talk about in this film is the LGBT representation. I want to hear from you first, Matt. Uh, well, as a gay, um, I I really do enjoy I think this movie did something important. Um, one of the bigger complaints that I hear a lot of people talk about is the fact that it's a movie about AIDS and the AIDS crisis, which devastated the gay community. And it kind of, one of the scene stealers of the thing is Roger who's a straight man in a straight relationship and it takes away a lot of that but I think that was important especially for the time because people saw that as a gay disease and people really did need to know that it's not a gay disease and there's straight people going through those hardships as well and so I think for a sense the gay community they needed to be reminded that these things are happening to everyone and it's not this unnatural thing and in terms of just gay characters I think Angel is one of my favorite characters in anything I think uh, queer is the best word to describe her because they never quite say man woman trans whatever they just she's just kind of I did actually want to ask about that so something I noticed in the movie is that they do later call Angel him but in the musical Mm -hmm. from what I've seen that's not the case um, I couldn't tell you exactly for certain that they never call Angel him in uh, the musical, but I do think that it does speak to a certain uh, part of the community, which is just gender fluid, um, right? Kind of drag, just more or less. They're just they identify as queer, and so yeah. labels don't matter as much. So I think Angel's a really important representation, um, and having an interracial. Uh, queer couple both having AIDS in a movie was also really impactful. I think it does a lot of good for the community. Yeah, no, the relationship between Angel and Collins is the single best part of the film. Mm -hmm. Any part and of the stage play, it is the emotional center that everything builds off of. Yeah. I would say my biggest issue is that I, I, I understand the thought of you know exploring AIDS is a disease that can afflict everybody but the LGBT community was absolutely ignored in terms of like 
they matter during the AIDS crisis, and it seems more like that narrative is hijacked by the heterosexual couples. Um, and I would say that also using Maureen and Joanne as an example, because they're the other non-straight couple, though none of neither of them has AIDS, their relationship is presented as highly abusive. Um, with Angel and Collins, they have a very healthy relationship, and mm-hmm. I love that representation. I love them together. But first off, we get rid of Angel very quickly. Angel takes the role of Mimi in the uh, the opera, and Mimi is the one that dies by the end of the play in the opera. And Angel takes that role of kind of like the the martyr sort of yes. <laughs> character. Um, the issue I have with that is that we don't really talk about it. It just kind of uses drama fodder. And this is not just for the movie. This is for the play as well. Um, I will get into this more a lot more later, but I don't, I would argue if anyone that says AIDS is the, the driving force of rent, because really we don't talk about AIDS, we talk about the death and how it affects with people. Um, but in terms of the LGBT representation, this was one of my first experiences watching an LGBT film on screen and it did positively impact me. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm trying to argue that this film is not important or that it is not impactful. Um, I just think, especially with a more modern lens, it is very problematic in terms of LGBT representation, but it also offered some when there was none. Yeah. So it's a good give and take, I feel. I would say the biggest gripe I have is Maureen, as a bisexual woman, yes. uh, is portrayed as someone who uh, constantly is cheating on her uh, significant other and also, for lack of a better term, is rather slutty, which I think is a stereotype that goes with bisexual women anyways. And so I think that's harmful. Um, but in terms of the rest of it, I think I would honestly kind of... Um, Disagree with you. I mean, which I mean, I already stated my opinion on the AIDS uh, situation. I really do think that, yes, at the time during the epidemic, people were ignoring gay people's needs, but no one was ignoring the fact that gay people got AIDS all the time. And so I think, especially in the community, for something that the community already felt like it was their fault and they were the ones almost at blame for this. To, I, I do think it was important to show that heterosexual. So I have a good rebuttal for you. Please do. All throughout the 80s and 90s, the only way AIDS was explored in the media is through heterosexual couples. Uh, we did not talk about AIDS on TV through gay couples, mm-hmm. uh, especially in medical dramas. They just... It, it was taboo already to talk about AIDS, yeah. but to even address homosexuality on screen. Which is what I was going to say. I don't <laughs> think that's so much that we were ignoring gay people getting AIDS. I think we were ignoring gay people in media. Um, and so once again, I think that just goes in for the fact that no one didn't th- or no one was thinking that gay people weren't getting AIDS. People just didn't want to recognize gay people at all. And they were willing to just let them die off. The gay community knew they were getting AIDS and they did not need a reminder from rent to think about that. But I will say that uh, one of the most famous cases of a straight person getting AIDS and eventually dying was Ryan White. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, Indiana kid who died in 1990 whereas rent came years after it the first workshop production of rent came three years after white had died and that was a huge media piece back in the late 80s early 90s Mm -hmm. was that straight people can get AIDS even straight people who are not drug users who don't engage in you know, who have like zero degrees of separation, who are so separated from any of the, you know, at the time seen as morally dubious, you know, queer lifestyle. 
what I'd say to that is Ryan White, who was he was a child. Um, a really big thing that happened to him is he was teased mercilessly in interviews. He talked about how people said it was because he was gay, even though he was a child who got it from a blood transfusion. Mm-hmm. People immediately pegged it onto the gay community. They said that it was either because he was gay or the donor was gay or something. And so once again, we saw that rather than straight people saying, well, you know, it can just happen to anyone. Straight people turned on this is gay people's fault. So once again, I think Rent really did need to show, no, this could just be from a straight person in their own actions. It doesn't have to come from a gay person. But I and I, I see the point. I just think it's already been done. And the problem is that there haven't been gay narratives with AIDS. It's kind mm-hmm. of like stealing the disease and how it impacts the community to like the lesser in, in this case, the, minor, the majority is the minority of the people yeah. who are getting AIDS. I and, do see what you mean. I just, I think, yeah. I just, and it's a good, you bring yeah. up a good point. Like, and I will say that it's much better in the actual stage musical yeah. at portraying no, this as an issue that is dealt with by the queer community. Mm-hmm. In the film, there's a lot more, it divorces those two concepts a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting discussion to have. And I think, again, I just want to reiterate, like, it is completely valid to like this movie. And no matter, like, what I say or what anyone here says, like, this movie offered representation for various communities where there was none. So we really do need to praise it for that. Yeah. Like, we have to. And the great soundtrack. And the great soundtrack. Thank you. Out tonight is a bop. Let's get that straight. <laughs> I cannot listen to Mimi on the Broadway soundtrack, so I really appreciate <laughs> Rosario Dawson coming in. But um, another interesting thing about Rent, the movie, that this is where I get really passionate about mm. where I'm like, this is awful. And it is strictly in regards to the cinematography. It is inexcusable. This is horrendous. This is the easiest concept to make into a film. And who, okay, Stephen Goldblatt is the cinematographer. And I don't I don't know how much I want to blame on him versus the director because the director could be like, okay, do this. But someone needs to come forward so I can hit them with words because physical abuse is wrong. Yeah, I can't disagree with you on the cinematography. (laughs) Also, the sound design. Specifically, (laughs) I have a very strange, like, annoyance, but I skip over Today for You Tomorrow from me. Uh, specifically because when she's hitting the drumsticks, it doesn't match where she's hitting like the the little drum solo. What she's hitting doesn't match. The sound design in that is terrible. The dubbing in that scene specifically is the one that stood out to me too with uh, her singing. Like I think maybe that, it, is it the dubbing bad all throughout with instruments and everything specifically too? Specifically that song is, I think that's the worst sequence in the entire film. Yeah. It's my least favorite in terms of cinematography, least favorite in terms of uh, words not scanning with the mouth. Yeah. And it's it's sad because she's like the most interesting character and this is oh. her introduction. Also, it's a great song. Yeah, I like it. But so, like it just does not work in the movie. I think what this movie forgets is that, you know, uh, formalism is okay in the musical. Like, it's okay to have weird colored lights and crazy angles because it's a musical. And this character is already kind of like, you know, she's out, like, she's very, like, energetic and, like, mm-hmm. she's very in your face and that's, like, fun. But this, this entire scene, it's just, like, medium shot, two shot, medium shot, two shot. In this kind of gray apartment. Yeah. Like, Cutting every, like, second and a half. Oh, the cuts are ridiculous. Like, it's like they can't just hold a shot for a second and do something interesting or choreograph the characters so they're doing something. No, that's the thing. Somehow, 
Angel coming in, singing a song about how she just earned a lot of money from killing a dog <laughs> yeah. in full, like, weird Santa Claus drag. They somehow managed to make that boring, which is, like, <laughs> almost an achievement. Yeah, and it's so different because I saw the movie before I was ever exposed to the play mm-hmm. on, like, any recordings on Broadway or anything. And I absolutely hated that scene completely. I was convinced. I was like, what is this? And then I saw it on, like, a stage recording, and I was like... Oh, so this is what it, it could be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I it just it's ridiculous to me. Throughout the entire film, framing is really interesting, and by framing, I mean the camera itself. So in th- in film theory, there's there's this belief that the camera is a sort of character, and that I believe is actually like completely accurate. The camera is everything, and how, where it's positioned, what it's showing, it's taking a stance. You are part of the action, and. The scene where Mimi first comes to see Roger and she's trying to convince him to do drugs and he's like, no, that's, no, not anymore. It frames Mimi and it just frames her as correct by the way they're positioned and how the camera like focuses on them. Roger is placed at the high ground on the balcony later when he, you know, they go outside and she's downstairs. And it kind of shows that he's at this like, this moral high ground but Mm -hmm. he's like completely isolated alone then the camera puts us with mimi and the rest of the group who are like saying you know live for today and we are right there with them we're supposed to be looking up at roger like come be with us it's just such a bizarre thing i I just it's the framing so strange because it's very obviously a problematic situation and it just i it's just Mm -hmm. odd I think that leans into an issue that a lot of the cinematography in this movie has, where it's a lack of intention. And I think yeah. I think that touches into also the the entire like set during today for you that we touched on, where it's this gray apartment that's not really working for what's happening. Where it's almost like they just they was like, all right, this is fine, and this is how a movie can be made, and they didn't think about what it was saying. I don't know. I I hope they didn't think about it and they're not saying like, yeah, just do drugs, have a good time. But like that camera is very intentional. Yeah. Uh, That could be an explanation for the camera placement though. So yeah, I guess that's true. Another scene that really bothers me in terms of cinematography is the Tango Marine. Uh, So there's at first they're like hardly dancing. Okay, whatever. It can pick up. But again, it's just like this medium shot. There's not anything happening. But then there's hope. There's like a glimmer of hope when it goes into like this super formalistic like sequence where like there's finally like background dancers and like Maureen is there. She's all in red. So there's like color choice is good. But then the camera, it's just like this boring overhead shot. There's so much you can do. I don't understand. They had 40 million dollars. Yeah, now that I know the budget of that film, a lot of these things that I was like, ah, that's what it is. I'm just like, really? Where did it go? Was it to get Idina Menzel as Maureen and put her in a red dress? Probably. <laughs> Good for Idina. <laughs> Please it was Probably to us. get her to pull her pants down during La Vie Bohème. That's that was, true. Oh, that's, yeah. that was probably where it went. Well, it was but I, actually, I'm going to argue. Lavi Bohem, I think, has some nice cinematography. I think that's the most fun scene in the movie. Yeah, it's very fun. The uh, the camera movement, I would say, is intentional. The choreography is really interesting. Yeah. And I will say that they did well there. I agree. I definitely agree with you. That's, I think, just if I was going to watch, it would definitely be that scene. Whereas any other, like, scene, I could just turn it off and listen to it, and I'd be pretty happy. But I don't know. Not the part where Mimi and Roger have their own little aside. 
in the middle of La Vie Boheme. Yeah. That oh, that's part, a little weird. Uh, that just really weird. They chose to have them just exit in the middle of the song, exit the building, go out into a back alley, have their tender moment, walk right back in, and everything's still just happening. <laughs> like, nothing I mean, that is changed. musicals to one, like, but you have to wonder, like, what are they doing the entire time they're gone? We missed a few verses. It's I'm all right. so curious. Another thing I want to point out, it's not even camera. It's just kind of a weird thing. So this mostly takes place in winter. And the breaths that they digitally imposed into this every they crack me up every time and i actually love them like they're terrible but yeah. like it would have been better if they just didn't no i was going to say that's my thing i know it's winter they i think did a decent job at kind of like with the clothes they're wearing and like the, yeah. the new york scene it does i get the idea of cold i didn't need the breaths like i, I understand we're in winter like you're fine think of how much they had to spend to have somebody do that that's where that 40 million dollars <laughs> we found it i hope it wasn't four million dollars because i could get on like after effects or premiere and do it right now for the same effect so yeah i don't know Framing and blocking is almost just as important as camera usage because you can have just a medium or long shot and have the you know characters doing interesting things. I'm going to go back to the Tango Marine for this one because um, Mark and Joanne, they're just kind of dancing at a medium shot, but they don't actually dance for a little bit. So it's literally just like this camera like still on them. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of shots like this where characters aren't doing anything and it wouldn't be bad if... Even they're just given something like direction, like yeah. I don't know. I think the Tango Marine's a really good example of it. I think even if it's a movie in musicals, things have to stay dynamic to keep up with the music, especially in a movie like this where uh, uh, the vast majority of the movie is just like songs. Like there's very little just plain dialogue, and so I think you have to stay dynamic and keep moving. And when you don't, it feels like there's such a lull in the story <laughs> now that I think it's genuinely just an issue. Yeah. Right. Like the proportion of music to talking is kind of like Les Mis. Yeah. It's like an operetta mm. where there's way more music, and for the majority of the movie, it's just one or two characters who are singing on screen with nothing happening. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, I will say that in the musical, there is a lot of just kind of still moments. But I think the experience is different when you go to a musical because there are more restrictions. Yes. Um, they have a camera. <laughs> there really is no excuse. Even if during the tango Maureen, we're just kind of like moving around the characters like you would in a tango, how it spins around. Like if we're just moving around the characters, at least that's something rather than just... We're here. We're here is, I think, the best description of this, like, <laughs> the way everything looks. Uh, one more scene that I really wanted to highlight is the love duet between Tom Collins and Angel. Uh, the scene bothers the heck out of me. It's right after they get out of the subway and they have this. You don't like Rent. I'm sorry. I don't like the way it's filmed. Okay. I, I, I love the song, but like. So they have them walking through New York and it really just looks like they went to New York and it was like, okay sing this right here and they're just randy's walking by as they're just filming there is no style there is it's like cinema verite but not it's it's like they didn't have it looks like they didn't have a budget on the scene and it i don't looks get it like they were thinking all right we'll get a couple of great shots and then they were like wait wait 
you were supposed to call to get the permit so that we could film in the street. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Dang it, we got to film just on the sidewalk. It's one of my favorite songs, so I take this scene really personally. I love them as a couple, and I love their dynamic, and the scene is just such a great breath of fresh air. We've talked about how like gay representation is important. They're such mm-hmm. a good couple, and just see them like reaffirming their love in such a happy way despite all like the sadness is so great. But then they're just... they. They ruined it for me. I disagree again. <laughs> You're allowed and to. I think what you said, a breath of fresh air, is why I liked it so much. For one of the few times in this movie, uh, for a movie that takes place in New York, a very active mm-hmm. city, I think that scene uh, kind of captures the almost raw feel of the musical in the sense that I felt like we were really in New York for once. We It felt a little more raw and authentic in the sense that, like like you said, we literally are just on the street of New York. Do Can I say that there's an odd juxtaposition for the fact that the rest of the movie is not like that and this one is? Yeah, but I did feel like we were authentically just here in the city, which I enjoyed. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, had that been a consistent creative choice made yeah. throughout the film, we could have had something so much better and probably that would have looked you know, would have been able to use your 40 million a little better. <laughs> well, I can't just I keep saying it, but my biggest problem is the camera. Like it looks like from where they're framed, like some dude is sitting a few feet away like on his knees like filming them. <laughs> and then he's like, "Okay, walk forward." And he walks next to them. Like that is my issue. It is the camera. I just I can't stand it. And mm-hmm. I I completely get like the love for it. I love the scene and the musical. So And they're it, great performances. Oh yeah. Yes. I, I really you like feel bad because these are supremely talented singers and actors doing great work but it's just getting ruined yeah well I I definitely understand the difference of opinion but I did feel that the camera was worth pointing out because whoa (laughs) (laughs) film student can't take that so we're not going to talk about what you own Uh, we can go for it yeah when Roger takes the drive out west and it suddenly turns into a Chevy commercial yeah. Also hated the colors. Very bright. Hey, yeah. Very for a movie, like, I felt, like, assaulted. Because for a movie <laughs> that I was watching on my laptop in the dark, that I've spent the entire time in, like, darker scenes to be, like, aggressively attacked. Which, actually, now that I say that loud, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that's what they wanted. They wanted it to feel yeah. uncomfortable and odd because he shouldn't have been out there. Yeah. We'll say that's what happened. I'm giving it to him. You know what? Let's yeah. Let's that's a more optimistic view that I want to <laughs> go with. I will say, as ridiculous as that scene is, Adam Pascal cracks me up in the best of way because his voice is just so rock that when that's when he's singing, it, it is yeah. It, it looks straight like a music video, and more so than any other thing, honestly. I yeah, that's think, the most MTV looking part of the entire. I don't think the quality is good enough for any other song to look like a music video, but this one I think does, especially with like the car. <laughs> Ooh. Oof is my best way to describe it. But the major themes in Rent are definitely, in my opinion, live in the moment Mm -hmm. and not selling out. Not selling out is where I have a problem because I feel that having... (laughs) First off, Mark. It all comes back to Mark. This is a... Oh, Mark. Oh, Mark. This is a, a guy that obviously has the means to support himself and how gosh, how much would he have made? Okay, so I crunched the math. His buzzline <laughs> job We adjusted for inflation here. His buzzline job at the beginning of his career, starting salary is three thousand dollars per story on commission. That's in nineteen oh, per story. That's Come in nineteen nineties money. Okay? Nineteen ninety money. So in twenty eighteen, 
that's the equivalent of $5,763.74. Again, I'm, try- story. I'm trying to help the story here. Wouldn't that even drive home the point more that, yes, you can have so much. You could have so much money and it could be so, so easy for you. But he was willing to once again just say, no, I'm doing it for the art. (laughs) Jeremy and I are both jumping at it, but I'm going to let you go. (laughs) Okay. So here's the other thing that uh, comes up in this movie. So they're not paying for rent. They make that abundantly clear in the opening scene. But what does every character except for Mark Maureen and her girlfriend do? They take AZT. It was not a cheap drug. Yeah, there's a no way. A supply of AZT back in 1990 cost $10,000, which would be about $19,212.47 in 2018 dollars. Mm-hmm. How? They're no not paying rent. No one's insurance is covering no, they this. Would, no one has a job. They want to be able to afford that. The problem, I think, with that is, like, <laughs> this is what I mean about it not really addressing <clears throat> the AIDS crisis, yeah. is that, like, to get rid of one of the biggest obstacles for people with AIDS, they had to get rid of it completely by just letting them magically have it. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it's... And for I, it to just work conveniently, like, no one has any immediately apparent adverse side effects yeah no one like just can't handle the medicine like it was a problem for so many people it was just i mean it's like toxic well hardly right. any of them have signs of aids at all actually none of them do they didn't really like even angel and <laughs> she looks fine like only when she's right up on her literally in her deathbed yeah like there's no kaposi sarcoma like there's a little bit of like skin lesion looking things at the very end. They were showing she was sick. But the point with like not selling out is if that were the case that you know it's all about your art uh, like you would think he'd at least care about his friends to you know help them going through like all this stuff. It does tap a bit into uh, a kind of issue I have with even the concept of not selling out and this concept of bohemia. Uh, where I think the only person it would ever make sense for is Mark. Um, something, mm-hmm. as someone who grew up in a lot of poverty, the idea of not selling out is a very privileged idea. Yeah. Um, and so for that to kind of be a driving force in this movie feels like it was made by a privileged person who, he, you know, he was white, supposedly straight, uh, did not have AIDS. And so... I think most people, especially during the AIDS crisis, people who grew up in poverty, they would love to sell out. And this kind of message that, like, just stay dedicated to your art, it's not really realistic for most people who this movie should be appealing to. Um, I think it's I think it's a little ignorant to say that this is the demographic. And the reason most artists, you know, they spend their entire life doing their craft isn't because they want to. It's because, you know, it's all they have, literally. And so, yeah. There's just such a privilege here because the street where they live, the main gang lives, it's pretty much confirmed it's mostly artists. Mm. And I guess my question here is, why shouldn't they have to pay rent? I know with the group, there is a whole conflict of, like, they were promised they didn't have to pay a year. But the opening song feels so... It's just... It's it's so problematic when you have actual people in New York who are in poverty, not by choice, and you have all these, like, artists who are like, yeah, not selling out, fight the system. We shouldn't have to pay rent when there are people that can't. It's, it's just really problematic to me. That's not just the movie. That is definitely the musical. To mm-hmm. me, this is more of a... Not an appeal to those who might have been afflicted. Empowerment might have been 
it probably was a major consideration, but this is largely for angst, angsty teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. There are ways to criticize, you know, there are actual arguments out there saying no one should have to pay rent. Landlords don't add mm-hmm. to don't add any economic value to a system. Mm-hmm. We have a surplus of empty houses. We have homeless people. You know, r- rent doesn't make sense. But this movie makes no attempts to actually engage with any of that sort of ideology. Mm-hmm. The first time I saw rent, I thought one of the themes that was going to develop was like talking about the privilege that a lot of the characters do have and the reason I thought this was because of the scene where Mark is filming a homeless woman who's being you know she's being told to move by the police and she's being harassed and there is this poignant criticism where she's like don't film me I'm not for you to make a living off of and then she asks for a dollar and he says he's, he can't give it to her um for just a moment it it does criticize mark especially in like the bohemia lifestyle and the privilege but nothing happens there is no change for these characters they nothing impacts them in any way so they say things impact them but they don't change they don't develop they don't mature it's very idealistic it's it can't it's so far from realistic that it really says nothing it's a movie that taps on the just the door of a lot of really potentially in-depth things that could really matter. Like you said, there a lot of people could not pay rent at this time. You know, AIDS was a thing that affected so many people. But it only no it just wants to say it's bad. It doesn't want to explore what that means. It doesn't want to like tap into the realities of it. And at the end of the day, it walks away patting itself on the back for doing something that it didn't really do. And I do want to kind of defend Rent, the musical, and the movie, who, you know, obviously has the same plot line in some regard, because I cannot imagine the difficulties you face from backlash for mm-hmm. covering AIDS in this way in the time that it was written for Broadway. Um, it's very possible that this couldn't have been written any other way at the time without just being panned critically and that might have been a major consideration or with driving away investors yeah. or producers who would have made the show the reality that it was because at the end of the day we've discussed a few times now rent was a movie that at the very least we can say was supposed to be about aids yes. and the aids crisis and it was able to turn up 40 million dollars to make that and so like you said they had to be getting that money from somewhere and so i'm sure to make that more appealing to get that money they had to make this like i said earlier palatable yeah absolutely well we have to talk about rent live for just a second and i do mean just a second because (laughs) so for those of you who don't know rent live just happened recently and nbc it was on nbc and nbc does like these live musicals now like they've done peter pan live hairspray live they've done like grease live i think the whiz the whiz whiz was good uh usually they aren't met with the best reception and the biggest reason uh, largely is because they're not getting Broadway trained singers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is my rule of thumb. You just got to do it. But there are some things that I did want to highlight here because it is an example of Wrench on screen following the original narrative, like completely without scenes cut. Um, and it, it exemplified to me the importance of some scenes. There are a lot more moments between characters. There's a moment between where Mark is called out by Roger just for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little more, I feel, 
emotion too because you actually see rogers like being affected by the aids you don't see that at all in the movie um you can almost forget he has aids if you weren't being told which that sounds like an odd criticism because that's how it is in real life but the musical shows that he is dwindling in health and his time really is running out yeah um ultimately i thought it was it was nice to see it on screen and i would like to see another rent movie attempted personally I would agree. I think this movie started to get more into what we needed. Um, Also, shout out to Valentina. She is a drag queen who played um, Angel, and she did fantastically, except vocally. But, you know, know, what do you do? You know. (laughs) It's because, once again, we picked someone who has almost no vocal training. Uh, But I think we kind of captured that idea of, like, especially with, like, casting people like Valentina. We got a little more of the queerness in there. We're starting to focus on the things we need to focus on. But, yeah, I think we could use another go at it to really get there. It would also be appropriate in the current political landscape. Right. Shout out to Brandon Victor Dixon, who played Tom Collins, because hands down my favorite performer in the entire Rent Live production. I actually liked Vanessa Hudgens. I didn't think she was as good as Idina. But, uh, who is? <laughs> but who is? So here's a question I want to pose to you. And that is, is this movie and musical, by extension, about AIDS? But before we get into that... I'm going to give you an information dump because about the AIDS crisis of the 1980s. And I'm going to draw from two sources. One is from a very well-written CNN article, uh, Hollywood Struggle to Deal with AIDS in the 80s by Jeanne uh, Boner. And the book and the band played on by Randy Schiltz. And both of these do a really good job of exploring the AIDS crisis. And so we wanted to use them. So by the end of the 1980s, um, we saw about... 100,000 people affected with HIV and AIDS. And this is from the Department of Health and Human Services. So this was becoming a crisis very quickly. So the Center for Disease Control and Prevention reported cases of a rare lung infection found in five previously healthy gay men in LA. And this grew into what is known now as AIDS. And because this was mostly occurring in the gay community, there was a fear developing against gay men and them being contaminated. And of course, this was not sympathetic in any way. Elton John wrote an opinion piece for CNN titled Elton John, A Call to Action on AIDS. And he said, around the country, family members shun infected relatives. Doctors were afraid to touch AIDS patients, let alone treat them. And hospital wards filled up with young men covered in lesions, dying, excruciating deaths. And I think that really exemplifies the state of the AIDS crisis. It was it's everyone turned their back on a lot of the people afflicted with AIDS. Mm-hmm. There was very little sympathy and there was a lot of fear, a lot of misinformation. It, you know, if you touch this person, you're going to get AIDS is a thing that some people really did believe. And most egregiously, there was like almost none, no government assistance. Mm-hmm. So the most prominent box office film about AIDS was made in 1980 and it was Norman Renee's longtime companion, Uh, But this didn't actually reach widespread distribution until 1990. So we're seeing in the media in regards to AIDS, it's just not being talked about. It was being talked about on the news. But in our music and our television shows and our movies, it was taboo. There were some one-off episodes on TV that dealt with AIDS, such as uh, an NBC NBC episode of St. Elsewhere, 
uh, and that dealt with a politician who contracted AIDS that aired in 1983. In 1985, there was Trapper John M.D., and in, again in 1985, there was a TV movie, er, An Early Frost, which is definitely worth viewing if you haven't seen it. Journalist David Kaplan, former editor at People Magazine, said, It was always from afar and often invel- involving a heterosexual character, which was good because it was trying to normalize it. But it was also questionable in terms of how realistic it was because it was a disease that was ravaging the gay community. So... We explored AIDS in the comfortable way, and that's from a distance. We didn't actually want to discuss what was happening in the gay community, so we looked at it from a hetero perspective. Right. Um, an example of this is in The Golden Girls, actually, and Betty White's character gets a warning letter that after a blood transfusion, transfusion she might have contracted the disease. So the examples we see of AIDS are not very much indicative of the LGBT community. In 1985, a leading man in... A ton of films of the 1950s and 60s. Rock Hudson was announced he was dying of AIDS, and this was a complete game changer. Mm-hmm. So, this was not only a game changer, it was a wake up call. People actually started taking the disease seriously because we have an icon on television who's suffering. His co star, Elizabeth Taylor, started fundraising efforts for AIDS, uh, and she did a benefit dinner in 1985. And this dinner is what established the American Foundation for AIDS Research, AMFAR. And she became the face of the movement for these organizations. Sadly, Rock Hudson died at 59, and he became the first major celebrity to die of the disease. So with all of us in mind, I want to pose now the question, how does the film measure up to the reality of the AIDS crisis? I think the biggest thing it misses is the absolute terror that people felt about it because like you said we don't see it and for the most part when people we find out they have AIDS yeah we're a little bit sad but we don't move on people were literally just terrified to touch gay men because they thought they'd get AIDS no one really understood how people were getting it no one understood what was happening and everyone was just the country was in total panic I mean one of the most iconic photos is uh, Princess Diana who shout out to her for all the good she did for the AIDS movement was her shaking the hand in 1987 of an AIDS patient and even that was like revolutionary and insane to some people and so I think that yes I do think the movie is about AIDS but I think the biggest fault of it is that it does not show how scared people really were even Angel who was about to die we didn't really get any terror it was almost more of a he's at peace with it now kind of thing. I think that's completely valid and you touch on a lot of great points, but I'm going to go a different direction with the Mm -hmm. key thing that the movie misses for me, and that's the government response and lack of response, the expectation of a government response. Uh, During this time, people were still fighting tooth and nail to get any sort of relief from the Food and Drug Administration. There were people, mass protests in the street of Washington, D.C., people clamoring, screaming, health care is a right. Mm-hmm. People being carried away because they were literally fighting for their lives. Mm-hmm. Because if governments couldn't help, they weren't going to get anything. Right. And none of the characters have any of this sort of drive or perspective on what's happening. It's completely divorced from any sort of larger political 
narrative aside from like this vague concept of sort of gentrification we get the vaguest idea of collins with he did the um he programmed it to self-destruct and say uh, act up fight aids which is like vaguely political kind of situation because the phrase act up has a lot of significance with aids activism yes because act up was started by uh author larry kramer and it was the group that he founded after he founded uh, the first group that really tried to tackle the AIDS crisis Mm -hmm. that was all about more direct action. So it's interesting that there's this maybe intentional reference. Right. I assume it's an intentional, but it wasn't shown well. Right. It's literally one line that gets hit on and then just disappears into the rest of the film. Yeah, that phrase specifically throws me off whenever I see it because it's really the only reminder that they're supposedly activists in any form. Um, Like I said, around this time, uh, during the time the film was made, like when the film is set, it's like late 80s, early 90s. So Rock Hudson's death would have already happened and like people would have been starting to get very aggressive about AIDS. And it just seems very, very downplayed. Everyone, like you said, Matt, is just very chill about it. Like, even the support groups are chill in the movie. There's a lot, at least in the stage show, I've seen performances that are a lot more, uh, do, that do embody some amount of terror, especially with like 125,600 minutes, which in the film is not, they completely divorce it from AIDS. Yeah. Um, and that is one of the most, I think, insulting things. I was going to say that genuinely upsets me, but yes. It's a very poor, poor directing choice. Um, it just divorces the most popular song and musical from AIDS and I just whenever I see this musical I don't see really anything about AIDS so much as it's kind of a backdrop for these characters lives and dealing with the issues at hand like relationships and living in the moment living in the moment can tie back to AIDS because they are dying like that's what I mean it's a backdrop it's not really a main concern even though Roger says it is for him he has to write a song we don't really see him like in the movie he's not really like running out of time particularly so i personally just don't see it as an aids movie it doesn't really talk about any of the real issues that were happening at the time but at least it brought it up but i would say that in viewed through a certain lens this is a fantastic movie about aids because our point of reference character is mark true uh presumably straight man who doesn't have aids still caring about it the so he sees it and he acknowledges that it's there but he doesn't really engage with it on any meaningful level which for the time that this story is set is almost a perfect reflection of how mainstream culture viewed and dealt with aids so that's very valid, but I think that's... that's, that's it's you reaching. have to stretch yeah. to interpret the movie from that perspective. <laughs> Even the musical does better at that because Mark has a moment where he basically tells everyone he's scared of just ending up alone because everyone around him is dying, and that's completely... He mentions that in the movie. But not in the way no, that the musical the, does. Yes, but... It's like a whole fight between him and Roger. It's very emotional. Everyone's starting to lose their grip. Yeah, something... That again, may, this may be reaching on my part, but I think is another missed thing is 
uh, Stonewall was 69, I believe. And so presumably all these guys were alive during Stonewall. A lot of the people who were major activists during Stonewall became major activists during the AIDS crisis. And if we could have gotten anything that was like talking about the continued fight for gay rights at this time and all these things and uh, gay healthcare, all these things were also very prevalent during the AIDS crisis. Maybe it would have felt like a little better queer representation or at the very least more realistic for the times, but alas. I, I definitely agree with that. And I think something that's interesting about La Boheme is that the character Mimi dies in the, you know, the play, the opera, I keep calling it a play. Yes. But, um, Angel kind of takes the role of Mimi, mm-hmm. kind of, because, you know, the whole when he shouts Mimi at the end, like that is in the opera and she's dead. So I think what Ren is trying to do is reinforce like a hopefulness. However, it, it's problematic in that, you know, the gay afflicted <laughs> AIDS yeah. person is someone that dies. But there is hope for the heteros. And that is definitely not intended, but that's not the point. It's, it, it can read that way. It's just very. It's just a very odd take on AIDS. They wanted to go for the appeal of like this kind of beautiful love story that can survive, just like you can survive AIDS, rather than think about like you said. I do think it was unintended, but it is very much implying like, well, the gay people died, but like straight love, you'll win out. They always win. They always, <laughs> they do. always do. I mean, there was. In the beginning years of the AIDS crisis, the, one of the biggest problems that activists faced was getting people to actually take the threat of AIDS seriously mm-hmm. and to actually change how they acted and how they carried on in their regular lives. So to have this musical that, you know, just kind of has that message where it's like the biggest struggle that we see Mimi going through is addiction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's that just seems so disingenuous to what was well, and another thing playing into the like it probably should have focused a bit more on the gay is one of the reasons so many gay men died is people would not get treatment for AIDS because they would not want people to know how they got it in the sense that a lot of people in the closet were getting AIDS and refused to say anything about it because they would have to come out. And I think that once again, by having the straight people live and the gay person die, that almost reinforces that idea. Mm-hmm. Well, shucks, <laughs> well, what do you do? Well, well you know, it empowers some people. So, and to be fair, a lot of people, like we said, are not watching this movie to like think too much about it. You're yes. like, you're, you know, you're happy to see somebody like you on screen, be it, you know, a lot of the minority characters, be it LGBT or colored, even AIDS afflicted. So it is empowering, but it's very problematic. And I think today we can do better. So, final thoughts on rent buy a home. Don't rent. Just invest in equity. That's so privileged. Yeah, I will never buy a home. Uh, We're millennials, though. Just kidding. Realize what the AIDS crisis was actually about, and while we can appreciate this for what it did at the time, recognize that this was not realistic. I think that's a really important message. Um, Please, if you like this movie, keep liking it. We're not trying to make you hate something. I still really love the movie. (laughs) I mean, if you want a very personal story of what it was like to have AIDS, to experience AIDS in the people around you that you love, read Randy Schultz's book and the band played on. Wonderful. Or see his movie. Right. (laughs) Why not both? Why not both? I do want to end this on the note of 
given the current political landscape and Trump's assertion that we are going to drastically reduce the amount of HIV and AIDS infected people, I think it's time that we see another uh, mainstream movie come out tackling AIDS. Um, I, I hope we see more representation. I hope we discuss it. And I do hope that we educate people about it. And if that if film has the power to do that, then I think we should explore every avenue to do so. So thank you for joining us on Input 2. I am your host, Emily Rubin. Today I have with me... Jeremy Rogers. Matthew Yap. Thank you so much for listening. You can read all of our content on theballstatedaily.com and our own website, bitebsu.com. Be sure to follow us at bitebsu on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a pretty cool YouTube account, so be sure to check that out. You can watch our pop tabs hosted by the lovely Matthew Yap right here. Hey. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Input 2. <laughs>